So with that said, we are in Matthew chapter 7, as we're going to finish the Sermon on the Mount. And Father, we do pray that you would just bless this teaching. These are very important words that Jesus is speaking to us. It wasn't just for the disciples and the multitudes that were gathering 2,000 years ago. It's a word especially for us today. And I thank you for the cloud cover uh, to kind of keep the sun from beating down on us. Uh, I pray that we would be attentive, even though we have uh, cars that are driving by and motorcycles and uh, we have other things that are taking place, uh, that we would be able to focus on you and be able to, um, Lord, be touched by your word. And I pray that these words would be planted in our hearts, that it may take root there and really bear fruit in our lives. And that we would have uh, stability and be established in you because we are here. We we're at the house of the Lord and we were taken in the word and Lord to not just hear it, but to do it. So Lord, uh, there's much here for us and Lord, we just want to receive it with faith. We want to receive it with um, hearts that are soft and it's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. So as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is encompasses all of chapters 5, 6, and 7, of course, the multitudes have been pouring into the Galilee region. And Jesus, seeing the multitudes as chapter 5 opened up, he went up on the mountain. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And we went through the Beatitudes. And Jesus would say to them, that I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he began to tell them how they can do that. And the Sermon on the Mount shows us that it's not just the external actions and religiousness in a person's life like the scribes and Pharisees emphasize, but it is the internal condition of the heart. And as we've been going over these things, we know that, that Jesus speaking how it is that we are to live, a godly life, that we can't do these things unless Jesus is in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is, is an empowering us to live a life after him. And we ended last week with, I think, some comforting words for all of us, especially in the day in which we are living in, with all the uncertainty and the trials and difficulties that we have been through, that God will provide for us. You have a heavenly Father that will provide for you. And as you ask, you keep asking. As you knock and keep knocking, and, and you know that as you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. Uh, that if you ask for fish, he, he's not going to give you a serpent. And we end it with just the assurance of the provision of the Father because of his love for you and for me. And as we go now to verse 12 of this chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus given a summation of how we are to treat others, and this, of course, we know it is the golden rule. I think even many non-Christians will quote this uh, to others, and, and whatever you want men to do to you or others to do to you, um, you do also to them. Uh, we want to treat others the way that we want to be treated. And there are those who will say, well, I'm a Christian because 
I believe in the golden rule that Jesus taught on, or I believe in the sayings of Jesus, or I agree with the sayings of Jesus. And that doesn't make you a Christian. Matter of fact, as we continue here, Jesus is going to give some warnings, and he's going to give warnings concerning those who are doing certain things in the name of uh, the Lord, who are claiming to produce fruit in the name of the Lord. We know that our salvation comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ. But as we do come to him, we're born again by the Spirit of God. Regeneration happens. You see, as we've been going over this sermon, we can't love our enemy. We can't go the extra mile. We can't forgive others unless the Lord is reigning on, on the throne of our hearts and we're submitted to him and looking to him. So we need to come to him. That's the whole purpose of the servant on the mount, really, is to drive us to the Savior, Jesus Christ, that we need to come to him, be forgiven, and be born again by the Spirit of God. But in this, he begins to, as we finish the chapter now, give some warnings that are very important for us to look at carefully this morning. Verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many, notice, who go in by it. Not a few, but many. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And I think those words really capture my attention. There are many who find the wide gate. There are few that find the, the road, the narrow gate that leads to eternal life. A lot of us, this time of the year, you've been perhaps uh, going up to the mountains and you've been hiking. Maybe you might hike to a lake. You might hike to uh, a point uh, that you want to make it to, maybe a mountain that you're uh, hiking to. But there are paths that will lead us to that destination. And as long as we stay on that path, uh, we are going to make it to that point, to that lake, to whatever it is uh, that you're going to. If you begin to bushwhack your way through the woods, there's a chance that you're not going to reach your destination. You're going to get lost. Well, spiritually here, is Jesus talking about a path, a, a road? Uh, spiritually, we know that the philosophy of the world today is that there are many gates to enter into eternal life. And there is a wide road or many roads to heaven. And Jesus here in Matthew chapter 7, just so we're clear, he says, no. He says, no. There is only one gate that leads to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. He would declare in John's gospel that I am the door, definite article, the door, not that I am a door. He would declare in that upper room right before he went to the cross that I am the way, the truth, the life, not that I am a way. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And people will say to you and me as Christians that you need to be more open-minded. And there is a tremendous emphasis and pressure on us today uh, that uh, will accuse us of being narrow-minded. And, and we need to keep in mind, Jesus said, narrow is the way. And, and there are few that find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And even, unfortunately, and I think that a lot of you know this to be true, that there are more and more places of worship where they don't want to be exclusive. And they will compromise the gospel message. They will compromise 
the fact that eternal life comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. He's the only one that conquers sin and death. What makes Christianity unique is there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And he validated what he did on the cross of Calvary by conquering sin and death and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And as we understand that in the words of Jesus, he is the way to eternal life, reconciliation with the Father and forgiveness of sin. You know, one of the verses that, that keeps coming on my mind, and I shared it with a group uh, and, uh, yesterday at, um, at a gathering. But when Jeremiah in chapter 21, uh, when the Lord says to the people, thus says the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. And it reminded me of what we went over that verse not too long ago on Wednesday night. Listen, I set before you, the Lord says, the way of life and the way of death. And we know the way of life is through Jesus Christ. So it's really important for you as parents and you as grandparents and for you as a Christian, whoever's linked to you in your life, that people around us understand that there is the way to life and that is through Jesus Christ alone. And there is a way of death, and that is rejecting Jesus Christ and rejecting the gospel and the work that Jesus did for you and for me and making atonement for our sins on the cross at Calvary. You are to proclaim the way of life that is set before you, and you're also to proclaim the way of death. And to let people know, even as Jesus said to the religious leaders, that if you do not believe that I am he, then you will die in your sins. We know that in Acts chapter 4, that Peter addressing the religious council would say that there is no salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Jesus is the gate, he is the path to eternal life, and he is the path to heaven. He's the door to heaven. And it comes through the cross of Jesus Christ, the cross of Calvary, as he went and died for you and for me, recognizing that he is the way, the truth, and the life, dying for us, providing salvation. And again, no one comes to the Father except through me, he would say. And then he gives more warnings in verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravages wolves. So Paul, when he was meeting with the Ephesian elders for the last time there in the book of Acts, he would say in chapter 20 that when I leave you, savage wolves are going to come in among you, not sparing the flock. And they're going to speak perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. John the apostle of love would say in his epistle in 1 John chapter 4, that you are to test the spirits to see if they are of God. That is commandment that is given to you and to me. You are to test the spirits to see if they are God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And unfortunately, there are Christians that will not test the spirits. There are things that will come blowing into the church, doctrines and movements and things like that. They're not of God. They're not according to the Word of God. And they're contrary to the Word of God. And yet, because of the experience or because of it makes people feel good, it appeals to the flesh, Christians will adopt it and they will begin to believe it and they'll begin to walk in that that false doctrine or that false movement. We are to test the spirits. And how do we test the spirits? It's through the Word of God. Listen, the Word of God is our final authority. It's our final authority. It's not experience. Because experience can be, you know, amazing. 
it can you know seem like wow look at this what's going on all these things but it can be deceptive and jesus is going to talk more about that as we continue on we know that peter in his last words to the church would say that there's going to be false prophets among the people and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way the truth will be blasphemed by covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words people saying that there are these false teachers and prophets will make merchandise of you. They will go after your money. They're more concerned with fleecing the flock than feeding the flock. False prophets will promote themselves. They will pervert the word of God. We know that false prophets and teachers, they can be very dynamic. They can be very charismatic. And they will be very clever. But they are dangerous. And Jesus tells us to be careful. He says, beware. Matter of fact, and as we continue through Matthew and the, uh, the Olivet Discourse, when he's telling the disciples of the signs of his coming and of the last days, the very first warning that he gives to them is, beware lest you be deceived. And there are going to be many false prophets and teachers that will come on the scene in the last days. Jesus telling us that you need to be careful not to be deceived because they will be present and we know that false teachers and prophets they will put experience of i've already said over the word of god they will claim to have visions and revelations to perform miracles and healings they can have huge ministries and great followings but as peter and jude called them spiritual beasts and that they destroy the soul they are wolves and you know how you can tell a wolf you tell a wolf by what it eats. And wolves love to eat sheep, and they devour sheep. And no Christian, listen, should be naive as to think that there are no false teachers and prophets today to just accept anything that is said. And I've told you guys many times, you need to check things out with me. Be Bereans, as Paul would speak to the Bereans, and they search the scriptures to see if these things be so. So Jesus saying in the last days, not only is there going to be an increase in false teachers and false Christ, and I believe that we're seeing that today, but the Bible declares that also there will be one that will come on the scene. He will be called Antichrist and a false prophet and a false religious system that will rule the world. We know that the world will turn to the beast, as Revelation chapter 13 says, and marvel at the beast and begin to worship the beast. We know Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, Jesus said, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now the thing to remember that when false teachers and false prophets come on the scene, they will not introduce themselves as such. They will say that what we're saying is new. What we're saying is, is being revealed to us. We have a new doctrine, a new understanding, a, a new movement, or whatever. They will appear to be genuine believers. They will claim to be true shepherds. They claim to teach the truth, but they deceive, and they mislead, and they devour sheep. False teachers will include those who reject the authority, the sufficiency, the integrity of the Bible. They don't believe in the inherency, the inspiration, infallibility of the Word of God. Uh, the Bible today is under great attack. And there are more and more preachers and teachers that are behind the pulpit that will tell you that Jesus wasn't born of a virgin. That he never claimed to be God in the flesh. 
that he never rose physically from the grave. They will tell you and me that the Bible, you can't really believe it. It's just a book filled with myths and principles that the miracles didn't really happen. The historical account is not really accurate. There are churches, church denominations, and even independent churches more and more that have fallen away from the truth of God's word. A generation ago, two generations ago, they believed the gospel. They taught true doctrine but they departed from the essentials of the Christian faith. And then you have the deceivers. They pretend to believe. They preach the truth. They may speak with great charisma and power and zeal for the Bible. They speak of Jesus. They speak of the cross. They speak of heaven and hell. They will associate with true believers. They go out of their way to appear biblical. They know the language of evangelical Christianity but they are fakes and they are deceivers. And Paul was dealing with deceivers at the church of Corinth as he's writing to them. And he, the, the Corinthians would receive these guys that would claim to be most eminent apostles and we're super apostles. And don't listen to Paul the apostle. He's just a tent maker. Look at his dirty tent making clothes. He's, he's you know, simple and, and you need to listen to us. Look at us. And they would come and they would appeal to the Corinthians. But it was Paul that would write and say, For such are false apostles, they're deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, listen, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, who end will be according to their works. And after Jesus warns about that, and listen, Satan will present himself as a minister of light. But what he presents truly is darkness. And those who follow after deceptive doctrine, as the Bible says, that all false doctrine has the source of Satan behind it. He is the source of it. And those who are ministers of Satan are going to be ones that are going to be deceitful. They will transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. That's why it's so critical, especially in the day in which we're living in, to test the spirits to see if they are of God. And you do it through the Word of God. No matter how, you know, appealing it is, appeals to my flesh, it sounds so good. It lines up with culture. It's acceptable today. But does it line up with the Word of God? And also, as he warns about false prophets, he tells us how we can know them as we continue. Verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from the thorn bushes or figs from Thessals, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. In verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. This verse is so often misunderstood. Good fruit is not necessarily equivalent to good works or good deeds. You see, cultists and false spiritual leaders will claim to have good fruit. We're producing good fruit. Look what we're doing. Because they're doing good deeds. Jesus said that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree, good fruit. A false prophet or teacher will not produce real fruit. They will produce rotten fruit. They will artificially try to produce fruit 
they will cleverly try to produce with the appearance uh, of real fruit, but it is bad fruit. They may have a lot of activity in their ministry. They will oftentimes even surround themselves with, with those who are popular, those who are powerful, uh, celebrities. Uh, they're like a fruit tree that has a lot of leaves, but there's no fruit growing. Jesus said that tree is cut down and thrown into the fire. False prophets may have ministries that do good deeds, have lots of works. You know, that's one of the things that we see in our culture. Movements and, and people that are gathering and, and organizing and claiming to do good deeds and good works and look at us. But they don't produce good fruit, godly fruit that is. They teach in a false Christ. There are those perverting the gospel. They may promote family values and, uh, and doing good works to those who are in need and have missions all over the world. They do so many good deeds, but they don't produce godly good fruit. Bearing fruit is a Christian results naturally by abiding in Christ, the true vine. For it is the life that flows into a branch from the vine which produces fruit. And as we abide in Jesus, we will naturally produce fruit. Even as Jesus said, come to me if you thirst, and out of your innermost will flow torrents of living water. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit residing in us, that as we take the word of God and abide in his word and abide in his love, abide in him personally, Jesus said, you will have fruit and that fruit will remain. And then as Jesus said, watch out for deception, be fruit inspectors, having warned us of false prophets, he now warns us of false professions. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them that I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Interesting, isn't it? These verses that we just read, verses 21 through 23, to me are very, very sobering, very serious. It's a heavy-duty warning. Matter of fact, in the five years that I've done live radio and the call-in show, that this question gets asked oftentimes. What do these verses mean? And they are of concern to people. Jesus here telling us of one who has religion, but listen, they don't have relationship. They have a lot of activity, but not intimacy. Uh, many of these wolves and, and false teachers will say to Jesus on that judgment day, that, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do miracles in your name? The plea of the false profession is this. Look at my works. Look at my works. Pharaoh's magicians back in the book of Exodus, they were able to work miracles. When Moses threw down his staff and it turned into a serpent, the magicians did the same thing. When Moses turned water into blood, we know that the magicians found some unpolluted water and they turned it into blood. We know that uh, when Moses called up frogs, they were able to call up frogs. We know that Simeon and Acts would woe the people with miracles and, and sorcery. And what intrigues me about these verses is Jesus said about them that they will protest saying, didn't we do it in your name, Lord? All these miracles, all the people 
prophesying. And Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? The key is verse 23. Jesus said, I never knew you. I never knew you. There wasn't true relationship. They were workers of lawlessness. They didn't do the will of the Father. Remember Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve. We'll see him as we continue through Matthew's Gospel. When the disciples went out two by two, they came back and they said, We all, we worked miracles. We, we did all these things. Judas was a part of that. But yet we know that Judas betrayed the Lord. Jesus said of Judas, it had been better if he'd never been born. It was Paul that would say to the Corinthians, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? Have you truly humbled yourself and come to Christ? Have you known him as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you humbled yourself to receive from him, to live for him? And we know that as we do come to him and humble ourselves and come in, in faith, that we belong to him. We'll be a, a son, a daughter of the living God through Jesus Christ. But then in verse 24, therefore, whoever bears, hears, that is, these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these saying of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. In verse 27, and the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So Jesus, as we've seen this morning, talking about two roads, two trees, now two foundations. We know that the most important part of a building is the foundation. You can have two buildings. Uh, they are, look the same. They're built with the same materials. But if one is built on a soft, uh, unstable foundation, that building's in trouble. It, it's just a matter of time before it begins to crack. It begins to fall apart, even collapse. We know that a building needs to be on a solid foundation. So the question spiritually for you and for me, every single one of us this morning, is this. What are you building your life on? What are you building your life on? What foundation? Is it the foundation of the rock Jesus Christ or is it the sand of the world? And when the storms come, and they do, I think that most of us, that we've experienced a storm over the last few months. And there will be more storms that come into our lives. And when they do, whatever you're building on will determine whether you're going to crash spiritually or you're going to be able to be established and be strong in those times when the rains come and the wind of adversity begins to blow on you. Jesus says the wise man is the one, listen, this is what's the key. That builds on the rock is one who hears my words and does them. Again, you're abiding in the word of God. You're abiding in him. Foolish is the one who hears these words of mine and does not do them. Just because you hear the word of God, are you doing it? Are you asking the Lord, help me to walk in that obedience? And as you do, you're going to be building your life on a solid foundation. 
as we talked about on Wednesday, as Jeremiah is saying, you know, that the articles of the temple are going to be taken to Babylon. There's a mention of the pillars. And as you look at that, just that little mention of the pillars that were at Solomon's temple, you go back to 1 Kings where Solomon built the temple. He had two large pillars that were there at the house of the Lord. They were made of bronze. They, they were awesome. But one was called Boaz. One was called Jachin. And Boaz means he is strengthened. Jachin means he will establish. So as you came to the house of the Lord, you see those two pillars. He has strengthened, or he has strength, and he has established. So I, I want to remind you of this. As you guys keep coming to the house of the Lord, to this place, you know one of my big concerns and what my prayer is, is that during this time of the pandemic when we've done online services, that there are those who have fallen away no longer interested in coming to church, don't feel like they need to be in fellowship. But as you keep coming to the house of the Lord, listen, you will be strengthened and you will be established. And I pray for all of us that when you, we hear the word of God, that we will say, okay, I hear what you say, Lord, and I'll know your commandments and every commandment you give to me is an expression of your love. Because this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. He doesn't give us his commandments to burden us. He gives us his commandments so that we do well and are strengthened and established. And you might remember back in the book of Isaiah that Isaiah the prophet comes to Ahaz, who was not right with the Lord, and he warned Ahaz. He said, if you don't believe in the word of the Lord, you will not be established, Ahaz. Listen. If you compromise any of us and go the way of the world because it feels right, it's accepted by culture, um, it, it seems to be okay, it appeals to my flesh, but it is contrary to the ways of the Lord, you're on shaky ground. You're on shaky ground. And what I hope and pray for all of us that we would say, I hear you, Lord, and your ways are good and right, and I'm going to build my life upon the solid foundation, Jesus Christ, because we see the world crumbling all around us. Folks, it's going to get worse. It's not going to get rosier, and it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse, and it's going to be perilous. And those of corrupt minds, Paul's pouring out his heart to Timothy, and evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse, but what is the commandment given to us, just as it was given to Timothy, that you must continue in the scriptures. You must continue in the scripture which are profitable. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these warnings. We thank you for that Jesus came along, set the record straight, and gave us truth because he is truth. And I pray for us that we would be discerning, that we would be wise that we would understand that his relationship with you and having a new heart and being forgiven of sin and being a true child of God. And we wouldn't be naive, we wouldn't be acceptable of compromise in the world and what the world is accepting and just the pressure that's put on us. But we would say, yes, Lord, your word is true and I wanna be established in you. I want to be strengthened by just walking with you and knowing you. 
And as we are told to examine ourselves, I pray for anyone here that maybe that, that you've never had a true relationship with the Lord. You're not right with the Lord. That you can get right right now. Either by coming to Jesus, maybe for the first time, that you've heard the gospel now. That Jesus died for your sins and he rose again. And he is life, the way of life, the only way to heaven, to the Father and forgiveness. And that's why he came, to die for your sins. And the Bible says, turn to him, call out on him and believe on him and you will be saved. And perhaps that you've never done that. You can do that right now. The day is the day of salvation. It isn't about being religious. It's about knowing him in relationship and intimacy and recognizing your need for the Savior of the world. Will you do that right now? You can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask you, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive me. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for hearing my prayer and loving me for eternal life, bringing me into the family of God. And I do want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And listen, if you prayed that prayer, that as we close here in just a minute, come up on the, the deck here. I want to pray with you and encourage you. Or if you're listening online or on the radio later, give us a call. We want to encourage you. We want to bless you. We want to follow up with you. But for you who are here, that maybe that your ear has been opened to the compromise of the world, or those who even profess to be Christians and, and promoting a false Christ or a false way or false doctrine. May we be wise, and may we build upon the firm foundation of the Word of God to be established and strengthened. Lord, I pray that for us, especially in the day in which we're in. That you bless everyone here as we go our way. Thank you that we are here today to receive from you, be touched by you, taught by you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need.